Good morning once again. Uh, for those of you that didn't, don't know me, my name is John, and I'm the pastor here. And we are continuing a series called The Old Testament in Seven Weeks, or the OT in Seven. All right, and we're going through the entire Old Testament, trying to familiarize ourselves with it so that we can understand the, particularly the timeline of the Old Testament. Because if you just read through it, if you start in Genesis and read all the way through, you're going to notice at some point that it's a little confusing because the, the Old Testament is not organized in chronological order. It's organized by the types of books that are together. And so you need a little bit of clarity and a little bit of help in order to understand how everything goes together. But when you see the timeline in the proper order, it really makes the Old Testament come alive and you understand what God is doing through this period of time. In order to help you with that, we've created something called our Old Testament timeline. If you don't have one of these, we've got people that are ready to hand them out. So if you don't have one of these and you want one, just raise your hand and they'll bring one to you. All right, we got one down here, a couple over here, one over there. All right, good. These are a great tool. You can stick this in your Bible, stick it on your fridge or whatever. What we've done is, now we had to simplify, of course, and in, a, in seven weeks we're going through the Old Testament, so we have to simplify, of course, but this is very easy to memorize. And that's what we've been working on uh, as part of this series is memorizing the timeline of the Old Testament, which sounds daunting, but it's really not when you break it down into six categories like we've done here with the people underneath them. So the real trick is just learning the order of everything and who some of these people are. You may not yet be familiar with them. So what I want you to do is if you have it, turn it over. Don't look at it. Turn it over. All right. It's test time. We're going to do this. I don't have candy this week. Last week I threw out candy. That was just to get you excited. All right. I might have something better this week. Or I might have nothing. But nevertheless, <laughs> at least you can go home with some bragging rights to say you got one of these. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. All right. You're going to raise your hand for this. All right. I'm going to ask uh, first person if you can tell me what the first category is and who goes under it. So who can tell me what the first category is and who goes under it? Who can do it? Jamie. Uh, you had the category right. All right, founders comes first. All right, this is tricky. You're putting it out there. All right, Carol. Nope. Nope. Adam and Noah. All right, Bill got that one. All right, first one is founders. With You guys got to study. This is rough. This is rough. I suppose I need candy. You guys nailed it last week. I had the, you know, Butterfinger up in front of everybody. They're red. You're like, I don't know your memories. It sends the mental synapses just firing, I suppose. Gets you working. Teachers, take note of that. You want your kids to pass the test? Give them some candy. It'll work. All right. So, yeah. So, first we have the founders. That's, that's Adam and Noah. You're right. That's where God is creating and then recreating, right, through after the flood. Okay. Next. What's the next category? Can anybody remember? We did it on Father's Day. Abigail. Fathers. Yeah, you got them? Nailed it. All right. Brownie boy. Yeah, give her a round of applause. She nailed that one. All right. So that's, it's the, uh, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Remember, they're in alphabetical order. I'm going to keep reminding you of that little trick, but they're in alphabetical order if you can remember the names. All right. So the third one, and this is last week. Can anybody remember what we did? Anybody? Ashley. Close. Try again. Deliverers was last week. All right, can anybody tell me who was under the deliverers? Who was the first one? You've been studying, Abigail, you've been studying. Everybody take note, all right? <laughs> Our resident expert. All right, yeah, so Moses, right? Moses came first. 
Right, and then Joshua. You know that because you're married to a Joshua, right? All right, so Moses came first. He's the one who delivered them out of Egypt into the, into the desert, and then ultimately Joshua takes them into the promised land, which brings us to today, which is going to be the judges. Nailed it. All right, good. That's a student, by the way. Let's put you all to shame. Let's put you all to shame. That's a student. All right, so today we're going to talk about the judges. So now, just to kind of recap, uh, God has started creating his people with the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. He's made a promise to them that he's going to give them land and descendants and make them a blessing to all nations. And they end up, through Joseph, they end up in Egypt uh, because of a famine. They end up in Egypt and they become slaves in Egypt uh, over a course of time. Moses stands in front of Pharaoh and says, you know, Charlton Heston, you got it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Brendan knows, right? <laughs> Let my people go. And uh, takes 10 plagues to convince him, but finally he does. And he lets them go and they cross the Red Sea and they go out into the desert. And uh, we didn't talk about this last week, but they, they try to go into the promised land one time and they send spies, one from each tribe, into the promised land. And they come back and 10 of those spies say, nah, we can't do it. Two of the spies say, yeah, we can take it. God promised it to us and we can take it no matter how big the people there are. Um, but because they don't have faith, because 10, of the, uh, because 10 of those spies don't have enough faith, they don't get to go in. And they spend 40 years wandering around in the desert, so that generation will die off before a new generation comes in. And that's when Joshua leads them into the promised land. And they start, they start taking over the, uh, the, the nations that are in this land that God is going to give to them. It's called Canaan. And the first place they take over, you might be familiar with, it's called Jericho. That's the one where they marched around the walls of the city and the walls came a-tumbling down. <laughs> yeah. Walls came tumbling down and then the next town they go to is called Ai and they start making their way through until eventually they're starting to take possession of this land like God had promised to them. But God had given them an instruction. This is where we're going to get to what we talk about today, how we get to the judges. God had given them an instruction that when they went in, they were supposed to displace the people that were already living there. So they needed to take the Amorites and the, all these folks and Amalekites, and they needed to drive them out of the land. And God had a very specific purpose for that. Because you might find this for yourself, by the way, I find it for me, that when you have negative influences around you, it tends to drag you down rather than you pulling people up. And so God wants them to, to clear out the land because of the spiritual influence that exists there. And he knows that if they go in there and they don't drive these people out, then the, the other gods that these people worship are going to be side by side with him and people are going to start to mix them and mingle them and they're going to start marrying each other. And it's not about, it's not about like, they're, it's not an ethnic thing or a racial thing or anything like that. It's a spiritual thing. God is concerned. He's, he's, remember, we talked last week about at the time they spent in the desert was time to reteach re them and retrain them what it meant to follow him and to love him and to serve him and to honor him. And he gave them the law so they would have all these things to follow and they would begin to learn what it meant to hold up their end of the bargain with God. Well, now he knows that if they go into the land of Canaan and they infuse themselves into all these other religions that are there, that it's going to dilute the, the potency of their faith. And so he tells them to drive them out. But the problem is... They don't. They don't do what God tells them to do. And so they go into the promised land and they start settling in these areas. They don't drive the people out. And exactly what he's concerned about is what happens. They start marrying into other families of the Canaanites. They start worshiping other gods. And God needs to bring people. They don't have any formal government or anything. So they, God needs to raise up people that are going to lead them during this time of what seems like chaos. It's kind of like Israel is going through the process that a kid goes through. 
You know, I think about the fathers in Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph and how God, it's like, it's like Israel's a, a baby, you know, like an infant. And when you're an infant, you need, one, you need one person, you need that parent to do everything for you, you know, and you're, and you're just starting to learn. And then you look at the period of deliverers and it's like they're older kids or preteens at that point. And they still need instruction and direction from their parents. That's where my kids are. Like I have to give them the law. You know, I need to give them a set of rules and tell them what they're allowed to do and what they're not allowed to do. And Israel's kind of the same way. God's training them, teaching them, preparing them for adulthood and maturity. And then they finally go into the promised land and they're like teenagers. All of a sudden you get a little more freedom, all right? You get a little more freedom and, and the chains loose, or, you know, a little bit, and you're going to see what they're made of. You're going to find out if they have integrity or not, whether they're going to continue on the path you set them on or not. And that's kind of where Israel finds itself. The period of the Judges lasts about 300 years. Um, So let's jump into Judges chapter 2. And Judges chapter 2 does a really amazing job of telling what's going on here all by itself. And so I don't need to add a ton to it. So we're going to go through the chapter. um, And uh, it's going to explain exactly what's going on with the nation of Israel right now. And it begins right after they've come into the promised land. It's going to tell us while Joshua's still there, while the people who, are, who, are, who went through the wilderness with them are still around. Um, that's when we're starting. Judges chapter 2 says, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bo- Bochim, or Bochim, forgive me if I butcher a few of these, um, Gilgal and Bo- Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, now, what covenant is he, this is important now, what covenant is he talking about? Well, we've discussed the Abrahamic covenant, and that's where God promised them descendants, he promised them the promised land, and he promised them that they would be a blessing to all nations. And that was a one-sided, unconditional covenant, which means that Israel has to do nothing on their side. God will keep that promise no matter what Israel does. We've also made it, it's important to understand that that has not yet been fulfilled. So God will fulfill that covenant ultimately with Israel. That's part of what's coming ahead of us. But he makes this promise, they don't have to do anything on their end. And so he says, I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land and you shall break down their altars. So he's saying, you were supposed to come in here and drive these people out and destroy all all these false gods. All right, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you've done? It's almost like, like we said, they're kind of in the teenage stage, you know? For those of you that have teenagers, you're like, well, where did this come from? Why did you do that? I thought I raised you better than that. You know, I thought I, thought I could trust you. <laughs> I don't have teenagers yet, but one day I will. And I remember when I was a teenager and I heard that plenty of times. Like, where did this kid come from? You know? So God's kind of looking at him like, I, I thought I trained you better than this. I thought I told you. I made a promise to you. I thought we could trust each other. I told you the law you're supposed to follow. I told you what you're supposed to do when you came in and you didn't do it. So what are you doing? So now I say, God says, there's, there's a consequence for this. Now I say, I will not drive them out before you. So God's not going to assist them in taking over these other nations. I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. And that's very important, okay? Their gods shall be a snare to you, just like, just like he knew what happened. He's checking their, their religious integrity, Okay. He's, he's, he's seeing there what, where that's going to land. And as soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. 
So these are the people that had walked through the desert and had seen all that God had done, how he brought water out of a rock and how he had, all of this. They'd seen that as children. And so when he says this, he says, he says, you know, there's a consequence for you turning away from me. These, these gods are going to be a snare to you. They, they repented. They turned around and they wept and they said, God, please forgive us for this. But look at what happens in, um, they learned. They had those examples from the desert. But look at what happens in verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. They had just said that Joshua died and all that generation gathered to their fathers. They died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So these are the kids of the ones that went through the desert. They didn't, they didn't see all of that same stuff. They heard about it, but they didn't have firsthand experience. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Those are the false gods, the gods of the Canaanites. And they abandoned the Lord and the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. This is, this is such the pattern. This is the, this is the pattern that they go through. And it's the pattern we go through too, right? We have to be really careful about who our influences are, who we keep around us, what kind of, what the message of the music is that we listen to and what we watch on TV and the people we spend time with and the social, you know, events that we go to and all that. We got to be careful about that stuff because what's around us influences us. And they found this to be true too. They were around them and they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. The Baals was the male God and the Ashtaroth was the female God, all right, of the land. And God said, I'm sorry. I'm not not gonna aid you now as you go forward to fight these other nations. Why? Why would he do that? Well, even though he'd made a promise to them, there are consequences for our actions. There are consequences for their actions. They allowed themselves to be around these other influences and it had an impact on them. Um, my daughter Josie, uh, my daughter Josie, I remember one night, she was um, four or five and um, she had a nightmare, a bad one. And she couldn't sleep and she was just all torn up about it and she ended up having to come in and sleep with us in the bed. And, and, um, and the next morning we were talking to her about it. She was so worked up the night before she couldn't even tell us what the dream was about. And the next morning we, uh, we asked her, you know, what happened? What happened? And she's like, it was just this, she tells us there's a scary man that was in a pit and he was reaching up out of the pit and people were pushing him back down in and, and he, his face, it was awful. And, uh, and we were like, oh, Josie, that's terrible. And we're like, my wife Jess is like, what did you watch? Did you watch a scary show or something? You know, and, um, and uh, we couldn't figure it out. And then Josie finally went upstairs and I said, hey, Jess. She said, what? I said, um, that's a scene from The Walking Dead that I was watching last night. <laughs> Confession that I watched that. Uh, and uh, so she must have been sitting on the stairs. <laughs> so you got to be careful about the influences that are around you. That's what I'm saying, even if maybe your parents put them in front of you. But uh, they had all these influences around them. And of course, it had an impact. So verse 14, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel And he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. That doesn't fit with most of our views of God, does it? God's hand was against them for harm. All right. And, uh, And as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Now listen, just because the nation of Israel are God's 
special people, a holy nation, does not mean that they get free passes for their actions. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences for what they do. And the same thing is true for us. Like, we might have a special relationship with God. We might be saved through the blood of Christ, but that doesn't mean there aren't consequences for our actions. That when, that when we're out of fellowship with God, when we're making mistakes, when we're surrounding ourselves with bad influences, bad things happen. All right, so they, they weren't free from that. We're not free from that. But God wanted to help them through. He wanted to save them. And so this is what he does, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Now, judges are not what we would think of as judges. Judges were like warrior kings in a way, although not an official position of a king. They were leaders. They were, they were powerful. And uh, man, I would love, we're not going to go into any of the stories uh, of any of the judges today. They're incredible. I mean, Samson is a judge. Okay, that's where Samson and Delilah, that's where it comes from. And um, Gideon is a judge. Gideon and his 300 men, unbelievable story. Jephthah is a judge. Deborah is a judge, is a female judge, of course. Uh, and it is just the craziest things happen in judges. It's one of the wildest books that you're ever going to read. But um, God raises up these heroes to save them. And then in verse 17, it says, Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. They just won't listen. And whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. So you have these ups and downs that are happening. Let me give you, I, I do want to give you one quick example because I think this story is hilarious. Um, there's, there's a judge who's named Ehud. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but um, there was, the nation of Israel was, was being controlled by an area called Moab at the time. I know there's a lot of names, but just roll with it. So they're, they're being controlled by the, the Moabites and the king of the Moabites is a guy named Eglon. It's a great name. And uh, Eglon is a big dude like a super big dude. And the, uh, they, just, they know that they need to take over this king in order to be freed. So God raises up a judge named Ehud. And Ehud goes to King Eglon and he, he brings him a gift, a tribute, and that earns his good graces. And then he goes over to Eglon. He's like, hey, I got a secret message for you. Eglon's like, oh, okay. So he said, everybody goes off. He sends everybody off and they go into the penthouse, the upper room, okay? Penthouse in the palace. They go in and he's like, you know, King's like, all right, what you got for him, Ehud? And Ehud surprises him because it says Ehud's a left-handed man. So Eglon would be prepared for a right-handed man if he was going to attack him to reach to his left side. It's got to reversed for us, by the way. You're looking at me from the front. So anyway, the right-handed guy would reach to his left side and pull out a sword. So he'd be ready for that if that happened. But Ehud's a left-handed man, and so he's got his sword on his right hip. He pulls out a sword. He stabs Eglon in the belly. Eglon's such a big dude, it wraps around the sword, and Ehud can't get it back out. All right, and they locked the door. And so then Ehud runs out to the terrace and escapes. Meanwhile, the guards are outside the door while they're in there and they're like, God, he's been there for a long time. What do you think he's doing? And they say, we think maybe he's in the closet of the cool room relieving himself. They think he's using the bathroom. So they're standing outside going, ooh, this is getting awkward. You know, how long has this guy been in there? What should we do? And finally, you know, finally they realize that something's wrong. And they finally break in the door and realize he's laying there dead. But it gave Ehud time to escape while they thought he was using the can. Anyway, so it's a funny story. I think that's a funny one. Um, anyway, so that's just an example of what a judge would do. And then he goes back to the people and says, King Eglon is dead. And the people rise up behind the judge and he leads them for, um, for many, many years. Okay. So that's what God would do. He would bring in these warriors. He would bring in these, these saviors for them. All right. Where are we? So verse, we're in the middle of 
verse 18. For the Lord, he brings this leader like, like Ehud or like Samson or like uh, Gideon or Jephthah or any of them. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, so things were good, but whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So things were great while the judge was there, and then they would relapse as soon as the judge was gone. When the cat's away, the mice play. It's just like, it's just like my kids. <laughs> I walked in on, on one of our children the other day. I won't call them out publicly. I walked in, I said, you didn't think I was listening, did you? <laughs> they were acting in a way they knew they would not have acted were I in the room, but I happened to have been in the other room. So, um, but that's kind of how they were acting. He's, their, their spiritual integrity is being checked. You know, integrity is who you are when nobody's looking, when there's nobody leading you, when there's no one telling you what you can and can't do. And they kept their integrity uh, was weak. So it says in verse 20, so the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because these people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. He's testing them. Now, I think it's interesting right there. He says, um, he said, uh, these people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice. What covenant is he talking about? He was talking about the Abrahamic covenant earlier, the unconditional covenant. Well, now he's talking about the Mosaic covenant, the conditional covenant. He's, that's the, that, look for that word, have obeyed my voice. That's the term he used when he gave him that covenant. He's saying, here's, here's how it works. God made them an unconditional promise. I'm going to give you these things, the land, the nations, the, and be a blessing. And then he gave him the, the conditional covenant. If you obey my voice, you will be to me a nation of priests. You will have a special relationship with me. You will have fellowship with me like no other nation does. But you have to keep up your end of the bargain in order to have that fellowship with me. So what he's saying as we start into Judges, he's saying, I made a promise to you guys, so I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to send you the judges, and I'm, I'm going to raise up these leaders for you. But because you haven't held up your end of the Mosaic Covenant, because you're not obeying my voice, because you're not following the law, because you're going after all these other gods, there's going to be consequences for that. You're going to lose the fellowship that you have with me. You're going to lose the protection that you have with me because you're making these choices. Even though, you are, even though I still remember the promise that I've made to you, and I will fulfill it. And that's the process that they're going through. And Judges is broken up into sections. And so you have um, chapters 1 and 2, which kind of set the stage. Chapters 3 through 16 tell the story of the judges, many of the judges. And some of them are long stories and some of them are short stories. And then 17 through 21 are just some crazy examples of, of how the people turned against God during that time. And they're not all bad stories. I think this is really interesting. I think it's important to point out. You know, some people look at the, the nation of Israel uh, coming in and driving out other nations and they're concerned that it's some sort of ethnic cleansing or something. And that's not what God's doing. It's a, it's a religious protection that he's showing. And I think one of the great examples of this, you may not know it because it's different in our Bible than it used to be. Um, the book of Ruth was originally part of Judges. Okay, the, the book of Ruth happens during the, the period of the Judges. In like 450 AD, they broke it out as its own separate book. But the book of Ruth tells the story of a Moabite woman. Remember King Eglon? All right, a Moabite woman who marries into a Jewish family and chooses to be faithful to God. So, so it's, not about, it's not about, you know, ethnic stuff or racial stuff. It's about spiritual stuff, protection of God's 
people. And so you see all those examples. And then the very last verse in the book of Judges says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's the theme of the book. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes, except when the judge was in control. So I just want to pull out three lessons for us from from what we see in this period of the judges. The first is this, three lessons from the period of the judges. The first is that God's instructions should be done all the way. God's instructions should be done all the way. I deal with this with my kids all the time because we tell them to do something and they do it the minimum amount they possibly can. Just enough to check it off the list. We literally have a checklist of things they have to do before they go to bed, all right? And they'll just do the, the minimum amount possible in order to get by. But when God gives, when we give them an instruction, we say, no, you need to do this all the way. Like, no, the toys under the bed count, okay? The, yes, you're supposed to clean the toothpaste out of the, out of the, out of the, uh, the sink, you know? You're supposed to clean the toothpaste. That's one of the things on their list. But the toothpaste on the mirror counts too. So do the job. How did it get there? I don't even know how it got there. Do the job all the way. When God gave the, the job to the nation of Israel and said, go in and drive these nations out, they did it halfway and it hurt. They had to do it all the way, give it everything that God said to do. And I think we need to learn the exact same lesson. When God tells us to do something, we need to do it all the way. If we do it halfway, there are going to be consequences. Don't be generous halfway. Don't be honest halfway. Don't be committed halfway. Give it everything that God tells you to give it. If you want the blessing of God that comes with that and the fellowship that comes with it, you got to do it all the way. You got to do it the way that God says to do it. Don't half do it. Don't have to serving. Don't have to community. Don't have to any of that stuff. Do it all the way. God allows consequences to happen when we don't do it all the way, all right? So God's instruction should be done all the way. The second lesson is that God's help is just a groan away. God's help is just a groan away. I don't know if you've noticed this. We we talked about this last week. When the Israelites were in the desert, they grumbled a lot. You remember that? It was like they got thirsty, and so what did they do? They grumbled but God gave them water. And then they got hungry, and what did they do? They grumbled, but God gave them food. And then they were thirsty again, and what did they do? They grumbled, but God gave them water again. And what does it say here in the book of Judges? God heard their groaning, and so he sent them judges, even though the groaning was their own doing. Even though they'd made the mistakes, God brought the consequence. When they groaned, he responded and he sent them judges. And I want you to hear that today, that that no matter where you may find yourself in your life, you might find yourself in a place where you feel like you're groaning. And it may be your own doing. It might not be, but it may be. It be. It may be your fault, the choice that you made that put you there. The step that you took, the decision that you made, the the the. The substance that you took, the paper that you signed, the agreement that you made, it's, that's the reason you're here today. But even if it's your own doing, you can grow. God hears that. 
And he responds to that, to help. And if you just groan to him today and say, God, I don't even, honestly, I don't even know what's going on in my situation, but I need your help. He responds to that the same way he responded to that with the Israels, with the Israelites. If it's the weight of your sin that you feel today, you just feel the weight of the mistakes that you've made, just call out to him. It's all you have to do. Just say, God, I'm crushed by this. I'm surrounded by this. I feel it all the time. All I feel is anger and frustration and confusion and depression. And this is all I feel all the time. And I know it's the result of my sin and it's the result of the people around me. And I want to be free. I want to be set. I want to, I don't want to feel that. I don't want to, I don't want that to weigh me down. I don't want it to stand between me and you. I'm tired of being scared of you. I'm tired of running away from you. I'm tired of being afraid of what's going to happen to me. I want confidence and I want to know that I'm good with you at least, even though if if everything's a mess right here. And all you have to do is groan and, and call out to him. Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross, shed his blood on the cross so that you could call out to God. He, Christ pays the penalty for our sin if we ask forgiveness. And when we ask forgiveness of Christ, he takes that penalty on the cross and we're free. And we don't have to bear that weight anymore and we don't have to, we don't have to fear our relationship with God anymore. We just groan and say, Christ, forgive me. And Jesus forgives us. And he rose again on the, three day, th- the third day, proving he has power over sin and death. And he can f- follow through on that promise. And all we have to do is groan, even in the middle of the consequences of our sin. We don't have to have our life figured out. We don't ha- While they were in the middle of their mess, they groaned and God saw that. And he sent, a, he sent a savior for them, the judge. And while we groan in the middle of our sin, God sent a savior for us, Jesus Christ. Scripture says, yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so you can call on him today. If you've never done that before, you can ask him to forgive you today. And he will. All right? God's help is just to groan away. And the thing I love about the Israelites, it just happened. It was a pattern. It was a pattern, right? I mean, it happened over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. But God looked at him and he said, I remember the covenant that I made with your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. I made you a promise And I am not going to back down on my promise. It is an unconditional agreement. And then no matter how many times they made a mistake, God gave grace after grace. Every time he sent a judge, that's grace, right? He gives grace and grace and grace and grace and grace and grace because he had made them a promise he was not going to back out on. And I want you to know something. If you have turned yourself over to Christ, God has made you a promise that he will not back out on. He has told you that you're his child. He has told you that you're forgiven. He has told you that you're free. He's told you that you have eternal life. He has told you that, that you are his. And he, that is unconditional. Once you turn to him, unconditional, he will not let you go, okay? But just like the nation of Israel, now we walk in, even within that promise, we walk through life, we got choices to make that are gonna have consequences. We have this conditional agreement with God. And it has to do with how close we are to him, what our fellowship with him looks like. It has to do with the kind of rewards that we're going to receive when our time here is done. And it's conditional. And so this is the third thing I want you to catch today. God's residence creates rest. God's residence creates rest. See, there's a pattern. In the book of Judges, there's a pattern. The people did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. God gives them over to their enemies. 
They cry out to him. He sends them a judge. And it says that while the judge is there, it says this over and over again, while he's there, the land has rest for 80 years, for 40 years, for six years. And then the judge died and the people did what was evil in the sight of God again. And the pattern starts over, okay? But I just look, when you read the book of Judges, it's crazy because while the, the story of the judges tell the story of that time, it gets to the end and it says, the land had rest for 40 years. There's nothing else really said about it. It's like things were good for a while, you know? It's because God, it says, it doesn't just say that God sent the judge to them. It says God sent the judge and God was with the judge. And that makes all the difference in the world. That God was with the judge, that he was present, that he was with them, that he was leading them through that person. And today, you know, the cycle turns south, what, when the judge died, right? Well, if Christ is the good judge, he is no longer dead. He's not dead, okay? He died on the cross, but he rose again. And he said, I'm gonna send you something better. He looked at his disciples, he said, it's better that I go because I'm gonna send someone else, the comfort of the counselor. I'm gonna send someone else to you, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just walk next to us like Jesus would. The Holy Spirit lives in us, is present in us every single day. God was with the judge. God is with us. And when God is with us, we can have peace. That doesn't mean our situation is peaceful. It means that we have rest. We have comfort. We have confidence. But we only feel close. We only ha- we, we're only embracing and receiving the blessing and the, 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 the protection of God when we're holding up our end of the bargain and living by the Spirit and doing things all the way the Spirit tells us to do them. And when we're not, when we're not listening to the Spirit, we're not letting God's presence be, be, show itself in our life. And we make all these mistakes and we have chaos and we have turmoil and we create most of it. You see, we got someone better than a judge. We have the Spirit within us. And we can rest in the, the, the unconditional agreement we have, God, with our salvation. But we need to stay on top of the conditional agreement we have with God to follow the Spirit so that we can remain close to Him and be His special people, so that we can do the things that He leads us to do, so that we don't have to have all of these ups and downs and huge swells and all this crazy stuff that we see happens with the nation of Israel during this period. That peace, the peace in the land creates this confidence within us, but it only comes when we follow the Spirit listen to him and do what he says understand God's word and what he wants from us and how he wants us to live everything else just brings I've been so you're probably like me I've been through a lot of stuff I've been through some really difficult things I've been through times where people have looked me straight in the face and lied to me I've been through I've been through meetings where people have yelled and said things I couldn't believe came out of their mouths I've had people threaten me I mean, I've been through, you name it, chaos, chaos, chaos. Yet it's the craziest thing. It's like, it's almost like everyone in those situations are just doing whatever's right in their own eyes. Just like the time of the judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But I've been able to come through some of those things and come out okay 
and not lash back, not fight back, not drop down to that level. How? I mean, I've had my times where I've made my, you know, <laughs> where I have, but I actually came through one situation in particular. I'll never forget when a person sat down. We'd been through a meeting that was just, it was chaos. It was, I couldn't believe it. It was awful. And couldn't believe what some of the people were saying. Totally uncharacteristic. And, and someone came after, to me after the meeting and said, how did you do that? How did you not, I mean, it was vile. How did you not sucked in? tell you how. I didn't. I just let the Spirit take me through the meeting. And the Spirit was able to do what I was unable to do, would have been unable to do. I mean, I honestly don't even remember half of what I said. It wasn't me. So I can't take any credit for it whatsoever. It's It's a peace, a confidence that comes through the Spirit that comes no other way. We don't have that kind of self-control. The land is at rest. And so I know some of you are going through crazy stuff. I mean crazy stuff. And you don't know how you're going to make it through. You don't know how you're going to hold up. The way you're going to hold up is with the Spirit. You're going to ask him every day for strength. You're going to ask him every day for consistency. You're going to ask him every day for grace. You're going to ask him every day for peace. You're going to ask him every day for what he is going to say through you. And you're going to let him take control of all of that. And it's only by all of us choosing to do that that we hold up our end of the bargain with God. And say, I want to follow the Spirit so that I can enjoy a special relationship with you, so God, I can have fellowship with you, so that I can worship you in spirit and truth, and so I can do all of these things. All within the confidence of we have that we have that we're his children. And by doing that, we can escape some of the pitfalls and the traps that Israel found themselves in. All right, so let's go to God now and let's pray and let's ask him to bring us this level of peace to give us confidence to follow him and call out to him. God, we come to you and we just express our love to you right now. Uh, That you are the creator of all things. You are far above us. Your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we walk through life. We ask forgiveness for this. We walk through life thinking we know better, thinking we can figure out how to live this life better than you designed us to live it. And it always seems to come out selfish. It always seems to come out focused on us. And we do exactly what we see in the book of Judges. We just do what's right in our own eyes. And when we do what's right in our own eyes, chaos ensues. When everyone's out for themselves, it causes nothing but trouble. And so we find ourselves in these huge swings up and down suffering the consequences of the mistakes that we've made, suffering the consequences of the mistakes of the people around us. But you have sent us, you heard the groaning of the the nation of Israel and you you sent them the Savior for the moment, the judge that you were with. And as we call out to you, we ask God that you would put our eyes on our Savior, Jesus Christ. His sacrifice for us on the cross, his death, his blood shed for us 
his body given so that we could be free. Save us. Forgive us. God, I pray that there's someone making that decision today for the first time to say, God, forgive me and save me. I believe in Jesus. We believe, Jesus, that you not only died, but that you rose again in power and victory. That we understand the kind of power that is, that is within us. And God, thank you that you did not leave us alone. You send us the Spirit, the Spirit to live in us and with us. And as we live in the, the confidence that we have in our salvation, help us to embrace the Spirit every single day so that there may be rest in our land, that there may be peace in our hearts, that there may be joy in our soul. Even if things are crazy around us, even if the consequences of sin are falling down all over the place, that we might have rest through your Spirit who gives us confidence and power and direction. When you tell us to do something, God, we will do it all the way. When we find ourselves in trouble, we will call out to you. We will cry out to you. And God, we will allow your presence to be our peace. It's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen.